This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's talk about Riverside.fm, the leading podcast and video creation platform that's changing the game on how creators record content. Riverside FM allows you to record studio quality audio and up to 4K video on their platform. Now you can interview a guest a thousand miles away and it'll sound like you're sitting in the same room. It's as easy to use as Zoom, but gives much higher quality audio and video recordings. Did we mention that they have a mobile app? This allows guests to connect directly from their phone and record content from anywhere. After your content is finished, you can easily grab clips to share them across your social media channels. So if you're looking for a hero platform for all your recording needs, from podcasts to webinars to other video content, you should be using Riverside FM. Sign up today so you can focus on your content and leave the quality to Riverside FM. Use promo code SHIPIT and receive a 30% discount on your first three months of your subscription. That's promo code SHIPIT to receive a 30% discount on the first three months of your subscription. Back to the show. To another episode of the Talking Blues podcast. I am Josh and I am joined by my co-hosts Alex and Peter and we are here after another win. This one comes against West Ham United, solidifies our place back into top four and it is exciting stuff as we face now Real Madrid this week which I don't know if it's more exciting or nerve-wracking but whatever it is um, I guess we were a little lucky uh, on the Balbuena um, if anyone does not know Fabian Balbuena red card in about the 81st minute and Listen, not a red card. 100% not a red card. I don't know what the player is supposed to do. Um, he's trying to clear the ball. What is he just going to let? I think it was Chilwell who was on that or Alonso or I don't even know who it was at that at that point. But what, like the, he was following through steps uh, on the Chelsea players, basically the, the bottom of their leg. And obviously they go down. Then it's a VAR, and we know how VAR has been this 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 season with the Premier League, and obviously last season as well. It's just, then the ref checks on it, checks the board, and we knew it was coming. Gives him a red. Listen, I just I don't agree with the call. Maybe it's a yellow, but not even a yellow. What I mean, I don't I don't understand what the player is supposed to do. Just let the, let the Chelsea player get the ball, um, not clear it. Up, upfield. I, I just don't know. I'm lost for words. But anyway, um, you know, even though they were on the 
opposite end of the pitch and on the losing end of the game, I'm allowed to talk about it still. And I would say if, if that was, imagine that was a Chelsea player. Imagine that was Tiago Silva getting the red card there. Chelsea fans would be going absolutely ballistic. I mean, we would be going crazy. We would all be disagreeing with the call. So I think I'm allowed to say that I disagree. Um, Timo Werner had a good game. I doubted him. Sure, whatever. I had Peter calling me and telling me that. I had Alex telling me it too. Okay, Timo Werner has a good game out of five matches. Like, calm down, guys. Chill out. You know, good for you. Congrats. Um, And then possession-wise, Chelsea, 56th possession percentage. Shots were 17 to 9. 6-2, to and I'll play the clip now because I've been stalling for a little bit of uh, what we had in our score predictions last episode. Be able to come back with two goals. I think, um, you know, Giroud up front, I think he does give you goals, right? Um, And you know he's going to give you, if you give him a good delivery, he's going to score. So I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea, Giroud goal, and Ben Chilwell goal. Bang, right there. This is either going to be nil-nil, or it's going to be... A bunch of goals. It's going to be like 3-2, 4-3, 3-3, something like that. Because West Ham seem to have almost no defense but be able to score. But us, we're the complete opposite. We have a bunch of defense and we can't score. So it's either going to be one where we play bad defensively but play well attacking or vice versa. I hate to say it, but I... Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in our scoring ability. I think it's going to be nil-nil. I think it'll be a draw. Maybe we'll sneak a goal. Maybe it might be one-nil, but I think nil-nil It's going to happen. We're going to have to deal with it. Hopefully, we can stay in top four. It doesn't really help that much, but we'll, we'll if Liverpool win, we'll stay level with them. So a draw is good enough. We want to win. Hopefully, we sneak one one nil. but I think that's going to be nil-nil. I don't think we can score. 1-1 one, one draw. I think Chelsea will draw with West Ham. Uh, I don't think there will be a clear winner in this match, but we'll see. And we did see. And Peter coming the closest there, you know, sneaking in the nil-nil, but then getting the one-nil. And actually, you mentioned that twice. So good for you, Peter. And Alex just saying two players that uh, did not even get close to... Or did um, did Chilwell come in? No, I think Alonso started this match. No, well, I mean, Giroud didn't play at all. Um, Chilwell, he was in the game, didn't make too big of an impact, you know, going Oh, no, Chilwell, wise, yeah. But... Chilwell was in the game, yeah, my bad. So I thought Alonso started. My prediction was I, I, thought, I thought Alonso started this match for some reason. Sorry, Alex, I was cutting you off there. But, no, uh, Chilwell did start this match. Um, yeah, and did, and did not get a goal, Alex, so I apologize for that. Let, let's get Peter the chance to go because he did kind of call the score prediction. Oh, I do have to say that Chilwell did have an impact offensively because he got the assist. But so I, I'd say your 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 prediction was twenty five percent out of a hundred percent accurate. But I mean, it was a good game, right? We played pretty well. We scored. We got a goal, which is pretty much all we need now. We need we can deal with these one nil wins because we know that our defense is good enough that we won't give up any goals. We can keep a clean sheet pretty easily. We tried to switch it up, putting Aspi at right wing back, though, to, I guess, be more defensive. Dugo said he wanted him to start, but needed uh, more height, the back three, to deal with set pieces. I didn't like that. I don't think Aspi is the right fit for right wing back. Right center back is definitely his best position. And I think if he, if Dugo is going to play him, he needs to play him right center back or not at all. Because he really, going forward, he didn't provide much. And then 
defensively, he also really didn't provide much because he's that's not it's how he get. I think he's not the fittest player. Let's say he can't go on these full field sprints, running up and down and up and down to help out both ways. But I mean, he didn't. He didn't do great. He didn't do bad. He just kind of was there on the pitch. But that being said, the back three that started was a very good once again. Uh, Christensen came back in. He played very well. I feel like it's kind of unlucky for him that Tiago Silva's coming back. And I think Tiago Silva starts over him. Rudiger also starts over him. And Aspi, if he plays right center back, will start over him. I think also, uh, I think Ben Chilwell played well. He obviously got the assist. He's getting better and better, right? He's getting more used to left wing back. He's getting each game he plays, he's getting better at going forward. Then also, I think he's getting used to his positioning when he has to go back. And I think he's every game that he plays at left wing back, he's going to keep improving as he gets used to the position, and soon he'll be extremely, extremely good. I mean, he now has, I think it's 10 uh, goal contributions this season. He's been doing very well as of late, and I mean, I have, I'll say now, I have him starting. I think I could honestly give my men of the match to him, but I want to give that to Werner because it's, Although he did make a have a terrible miss, I will say that. He did play well. He obviously got the goal, the winning goal, which I think I don't understand why everybody hates on him so much. They're like, oh, why did he miss? But they're forgetting that he scored the winning goal, the goal that won us the game, but they still decide to hate on him for missing a chance. I mean, I get right. You get annoyed that he constantly misses chances, but he scored the goal that won us the game. And if, who knows if, I mean, I... If I think any striker in that position would have scored it, but would they have been in that position in the first place? His hold-up play on that goal was extremely, extremely well to hold the ball up and then play it out wide and then get into that position. I think it was a great goal. I, I say this every time he scores, and it usually doesn't happen, but hopefully it boosts his confidence and he can get onto actually not missing these kind of chances. Um, but... He played well. I think our entire front three as a whole played well. Mason Mount especially. Who, I'd, If it wasn't for Werner, I'd give it to Mason Mount. He played extremely well. He had two shots that were unlucky to not go in. Fabianski made two really, really good saves. Uh, Mason Mount was getting into great spaces, making great runs. He was basically doing everything you want from one of your front people in the front three. Uh, he's, I mean, I he's just turning in. I mean, he's not turning into our best player. He is our best player, and he showed it this game. Um, I think our team as a whole played pretty well this game. I think we should have probably scored more, and I don't want to get into too much about the red card because it is what it is. It happened. Bad call. I don't think it should have been a red, but they called it a red. And people that are saying that it completely changed the game, no, it didn't. You had 81 minutes, and you had no chances at all. You cannot say that completely changed the game. You would have had 15 minutes more of 11v11 where you already weren't doing anything. So we won. It was a 1-0. West Ham got unlucky with the red, but we played well. Don't let the red card and the bad decision take away from a great Chelsea win and a great Chelsea game. Yeah, I agree with you, Peter. I mean, you pretty much covered everything. Um, I'm, you know, for my man of the match, I'm going to have Mason Mount. You know, really just I would have given it to Werner. That goal was fantastic. The way he took the ball, uh, passed it out wide, and then was able to get the goal, uh, the tap in later. It wasn't just the tap in there. He was important in the buildup of his goal as well, which was kind of, uh, which was quite nice. Um, in terms of Mason Mount, I mean, he was just quality. 
um, you know, best player on the pitch always pretty much. I mean, both of his shots, if it wasn't for Fabianski, who was a very underrated goalkeeper for all these years um, when he was at Swansea and obviously now when he's at West Ham, I mean, he's just been a very solid goalkeeper uh, in the Premier League. And I feel like he just doesn't get the respect he deserves. Um, Obviously, he's getting up there in age now, but uh, a truly fantastic goalkeeper. I always, you know, feel like no one mentions that uh, when they talk about some of the better goalkeepers in the Premier League. Um, In terms, I mean, Mason Mount had two shots, brilliantly saved by Fabianski. You know, we deserve to win the game, right? It was, uh, you know, we probably should have won by maybe one or two more goals. Uh, Timo Werner, I mean... He scored, okay? One at a time. We'll go one at a time. Um, but otherwise, I was happy with the performance. And I'm, you know, excited to – we're not really excited. I'm just very nervous about this upcoming game against Real Madrid. Um, they also played this weekend. They played uh, on Saturday as well. They played against Real Betis. Uh, they tied uh, 0-0 or 0-0. So they, you know, didn't have the best result at the weekend. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Um, I don't really know. Uh, they did win 3-0 uh, midweek last Wednesday against Cadiz uh, with Benzema scoring twice. So, you know, they've been on decent form. They're second in La Liga, uh, you know, right behind Atletico Madrid, and they're doing very well. Uh, so it's going to be a tough match. Zidane's been there before. Most of these players have been there before. Uh, you know, they're getting healthier. A lot of their, you know, players that are important, to the, especially defensively, are going to be back for this game or at least back for the second leg. So it's going to be a tough match. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Josh, do you have anything else to say about it uh, in terms of the timing? Because I'm not going to steal that from you this time. You can do your little spiel. I, I have to give my man of the match to Mason Mount. I was I forgot to mention it earlier, so that's what I have to mention here. I also have the Chelsea recap that I like to do weekly, and then I will get to the match, obviously, uh, coming up, Alex, tomorrow. And it. You know, it's something we're going to be able to preview with Mark Ogden of ESPN. So that's very exciting. So you'll have that to, to hear in a few minutes. But first of all, you got to hear our previews to that first before you get to the interview. And let's go to the Chelsea Academy. They lost in the Premier League 2 match, 4-2 to Man United. And then now moving on to the Chelsea women, they're able to um, draw in the English Women's Super League 2-2 against Man City. But I watched the match yesterday. It wasn't. I mean, obviously, it's FC Bayern, uh, you know, Bayern woman, um, and they were very good. Played them in the UEFA Women's Super League semifinals, lost 2-1. So, second leg is going to be this coming Sunday. Obviously, Chelsea, if you aren't able to watch a Chelsea woman, you know, on TV, and we're not, obviously, in the U.S., they're able to stream it on YouTube. So, it's always on YouTube for free. So, if you want to go watch it, like I always do for the for the, the, the games, and I watched it yesterday, um, it was just tough because obviously Bayern's a really great team in the uh, men's side of things and also on the women's side of things. And I guess Chelsea just weren't able to control the ball as much as they used to um, in prior stages of this UEFA Champions League run that they've been making. So that was kind of my point there that I that I saw that I just wanted to mention. Now on to the Real Madrid match. I apologize that I kind of stalled for a little bit, but I wanted to get my um, other stuff in there. The match against Real Madrid, Alex, like you were saying, is going to be tomorrow at 3 p.m. EST Eastern Standard Time. The semifinals, like one of two in the UEFA Champions League, which will be uh, 8 p.m. for all you people watching in 
um, England. And I guess we'll go to one stat that I have here is that Real Madrid have faced Chelsea more often than any other side in all competitions without winning in their entire history, falling in all three matches, drew once, lost twice. So there you go. You have one thing there. Um, and let's do one more. Chelsea are set to play in their eighth UEFA Champions League semifinal, the most of any English club. Real Madrid, excuse me, is uh, their 14th semifinal, two more than any other side. So um, that'll give your little match facts. I guess I'll go to, can we start with the lineups? I guess we can just move to the lineups. I'm going to have Mendy in goal because why not? And I do not want to have Kepa starting in this match, although he's been playing very well under Tuchel. Don't know if it's a Tuchel thing. Don't know if it's a Kepa haircut thing. Um, a lot of people are saying it's a Kepa haircut. You know what? I'm just giving it to Mendy uh, in net. And then Rudiger Silva, Asby. I'm not changing anything in that back line. I don't know why Asby was playing right wing back. I what? I don't know what Tuchel was thinking. Whatever. It was fine. We won the match. We move on. Right center back is where Asby is for me in this back line. Yep. Agreed. I said that earlier. He's not fit at all at right wing back. But he does play very well at right center back, except for the occasional in the past like four games where he's always had VAR check the penalty against him. Hopefully he can avoid that this time. But he'll be there at right center back. Mendy will be in goal. Giago Silva will be there. Center center back. And ooh, I could see Christensen being there because he's been playing really well. But I think Rudiger has to be there. So Rudiger Silva as B Mendy. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I mean, I love Aspi. He's probably, you know, what he's done for this club, what he's done just for us as fans. I just really appreciate him, obviously the captain. But let's we also have to be brutally honest here. He is definitely past it, right? Um, he, he's not going to be able to run like he used to run. He's definitely lost, I'd say, more than one step, maybe a few steps. Um, but at that right center back role, when he's there protected kind of by Reese James a little bit, I feel like that's kind of his best position. And yes, like you mentioned, Peter, he's constantly doing weird things and getting VAR checks and definitely gives us some uh, scares here and there. But he hasn't gotten called for it yet. So hopefully nothing else happens with that. Um, Silva in the middle of defense, I think he's been solid. And, you know, for big games like this, I think he's the way you must go. I think Christensen, as much as he's been solid recently, we know and sometimes in big games, uh, Christensen sometimes, you know, doesn't do very well. I was gonna, I was gonna use a different phrase, but I, I decided against it. But yeah, he doesn't usually do very well uh, a lot of the times in big games. He sometimes uh, gets a little bit uh, nervous, and I feel like he makes some wrong decisions. Um, and then at left center back, we're gonna have Antonio Rudiger. I love that guy. He's just such like a. He's just so funny. Uh, you know, every after every match, there's always like memes about him all over social media because he always does one goofy thing or another. Whether it's talking to Luis Suarez and the uh, round of 16, whether it's grabbing random players' butts for no reason. It's really weird. Um, he's definitely an interesting personality. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to have him at left center back. I'm going into each player very in-depth here for some reason. Um, I'll go a little bit quicker here because this is going to be the same midfield uh, that I predicted last time. Uh, ben Chilwell, left wing back. Right wing back, Reese James and Jorginho and Conte in the center midfield. Conte also had a very good game against West Ham, and he's been very good recently as well. Um, definitely seems a little bit different under Tuchel, um, but I kind of like how he's playing as well. I completely agree with you about that uh, line in the middle, Alex. My midfield's the same thing. It's going to be Chilwell, Conte, Jorginho, James. Um, and yeah, getting a little too weirdly in-depth with uh, each player. Um, 
Interesting thoughts on Rudiger and notes um, from Alex there, but I'll throw it to Peter now and uh, get his thoughts on on his midfield. And um, I'll throw in my front three because why not? Mount, Havertz, and Werner. I think they all start in my front three. My midfield, uh, same with all you guys. Chilwell will be there on the left. Has to be Conte and Jorginho with Nokovacic, and then Reese James will be on the right. I do also want to agree with Alex how Conte is playing a bit differently. He's getting forward more. He's kind of being what Mateo Kovacic would be, where he's dribbling the ball forward and then trying to play it uh, and trying to make these runs. And he's good at everything until it comes to the final execution, where he kind of just kicks the ball away and doesn't connect any passes. But he gets into these great spots. Like in the game, he had a 2v1. It was him and Ziyech versus one of the West Ham defenders towards the end of the game. And he tried to play it to Ziyech after he dribbled around. He had a great skill to dribble around one of the defenders, and he just kicked it right at the goalie instead of trying instead of trying to pass it. But or maybe he was trying to pass it and he just shanked it. I have no idea. But if he can finish the work on his like final third execution, he's gonna. I like how he's playing, but he just needs to work on that. But he'll be in there. Jorginho will be in there. Rishims will be in there. But Joe will be in there. Moving to my front three. I'm not sure how this would work, but there's three players I want to see in the front three. I'm not sure who would play as the sort of striker. I guess it'd be Christian Pulisic, maybe. But my front three would be Mount, Ziyech, and Pulisic. Mount obviously needs to be in there. Pulisic obviously needs to be in there. He's been playing very well. And Ziyech has been our big game player in the UCL so far this season, so I think he also needs to be in there. But I guess it could be something as Pulisic as a false nine in Mount and Ziyech ahead of him, or Ziyech is kind of behind uh, Mount and Pulisic as two strikers. I'm not sure how it would work, but I want those three as the front three. So for my front three, I'm going to go Werner on the left-hand side, uh, Kai Havertz kind of in the middle as that false nine role, um, and then at right wing or right forward there, I'm going to have Mason Mount. I think those three players will be starting uh, on Tuesday. Um, just another funny thing real here, real here, real quick before I get my score prediction. Um, you know, Chelsea always posts like when on their Twitter and Instagram, when the players are moving, uh, you're traveling to uh, wherever stadium they're going to. And they're always getting on the plane. Everyone's smiling. But Jorginho is always in a rush. Whatever. You, I just saw this again. Uh, six minutes ago, they posted it. Jorginho is literally he looks like that. A uh, very stressed father who's trying to get all his kids on the plane very quickly. Um, and he looks always in a rush. Everyone else, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Christian Pulisic, Mendy, they're all just chilling. They're all just being normal, walking up the plane. And you can see Jorginho like running up the stairs in the background. It's very odd. Um, I'm just going off on random things this uh, episode. But um, for my score prediction, I'm going to go with a nil-nil draw. I don't think anyone's going to score in this game. Real Madrid are solid defensively. We're solid dis- defensively. Um, and I think it's going to be a tough game. And I think most of the action will happen in the second leg. I think it's going to be, I said it, I think two or three episodes ago, where I said that it's going to be between two teams that are very, very good defensively. I think Real Madrid definitely are better than us going forward, but I'd say we're better than them at defending. That being said, I think we've seen it a few times. I mean, especially in the Atletico Madrid tie where we weren't the favorites, which we definitely aren't now, where we kind of just sit back, sit back, sit back, sit back, sit back and counter. 
and then try to steal a goal and then sit back, sit back, sit back, sit back, absorb all the pressure and try to get uh, have this 1-0 lead going back to Stamford Bridge, which I think it's going to be that again. I think it'll be 0-0 or 1-0 the Chelsea, but I definitely could see us losing. I could see Real Madrid stealing a goal from us and not, us not being able to score. So uh, I'm just going to throw out every possible uh, score, I guess, but 0-0. 1-0 Chelsea or 1-0 Real Madrid. Three options. I, I, if it's none of them, then I don't understand how unlucky I am. I'm going to go with a 1-0 win for Chelsea. I'm going to stay positive. And we'll get Mark Ogden's thoughts on this, the ESPN senior writer, which you're going to hear that again in about a few seconds. So I'll send it to the interview right now. We are now joined by ESPN senior writer Mark Ogden. You can go follow him on Twitter at Mark Ogden underscore Mark. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you about a few different things. And I want to start out by mentioning the Chelsea win against West Ham United. We previewed it, or we recapped it, excuse me, in our intro. Um, 1-0 obviously came with a bit of a sour red card with the VAR. And I want to kind of start with your thoughts on that, even though it was on the opposite uh, side of things and Chelsea were kind of in control by that 81st minute um, I kind of made the point that if that was Thiago Silva or Asby making that clearance obviously Chelsea fans would be going crazy um, Alex and I would not be so happy so I just want to get your thoughts on that VAR decision yeah it was it was one of the more controversial decisions um, I think whenever the referee has to go to the monitor you pretty much know that he's going to give the decision against the, t- the team on the player because it's almost like he's his boss in a in a dark room somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I said, "You need to look at this," and I, it, it takes a very strong or experienced referee to say, "Actually, I don't think so." So, I, I think the only there's only been maybe two or three instances where the referee's gone over and thought, "No," and it's been the older, experienced referees who've said, "No, we're not having this." I think Chris Cavanaugh's quite a young guy, so as soon as he was called across, it was fairly obvious. Um, look, and it's always worse in slow motion. These things are always worse in slow motion, and and if you if you freeze it down to that frame where he's got his studs into the back of Ben Chilwell's calf, it looks like, you know, the worst foul you've ever seen. But the context is that he was just kicking the ball and he, it followed through. So it was a tough one. I'd expect West Ham to be uh, able to overturn that. Yeah, you know, it kind of frustrates me with some of those decisions. And, you know, even though I don't really care because I'm a Chelsea fan, right, I wanted to win the game and it definitely helped seal the win. It's frustrating, you know, we had the, you know, decision a few weeks ago in the Liverpool game with Timo Werner, and he was just like barely even a centimeter offside. Um, and, and then also there was some other offside call recently too, I believe in, um, what was it, in one of the Arsenal games, right, with the, um, where, or for that penalty where they had to overrule it uh, with that Ceballos penalty because someone was offside. There's, I feel like some of those close decisions, I feel like should just be left to be interpreted on the on the field and you know it shouldn't be if there's a blatant wrong decision I feel like that's where VAR should come in not in these decisions that are so small um it shouldn't be they shouldn't be coming in and zooming everything in and making it uh like that I'm not sure if you get what I'm saying yeah I mean I agree what you're saying totally but I think the problem is is that because we have it the fan or the the club that's on the wrong side of it will say well use VAR you know and it and it's when they start, I don't know if you guys in the US see this, but in, in, in the UK, we see that the lines are drawn on the pitch whenever there's an offside. And 
if you have to draw lines to work out whether it's offside, then I think that tells you that it's, it's too close to call. So let's leave it to be too close to call. Don't get the uh, the lines out. But it's funny, you know, fans right now, I think, are, are pretty much 90% against VAR. But then you go back about a month, and I don't know if you remember the, uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo goal against, I think it was Serbia for, for Portugal in the, in the Euros. Last minute of the game, goes around the goalkeeper, scores, thinks he scores, and he's cleared off the line. When it turns out, it was actually over the line. But there's no VAR to check it. So Ronaldo has been denied a goal. Portugal have been denied a win. And you know Ronaldo's chasing this world record goal tally. So in that respect, we, we needed VAR. So it's, it's an imperfect situation because there'll always be a case where without VAR, you'll say we need VAR. And when you've got it, it's, it's, it's pushing it too far. But there should be a, a, a line where you say, if you have to draw a line on the pitch, forget it. It's, let, let's just go with the referee or the linesman. I completely agree, and I want to shift to something that has been, um, obviously, I'm sure you knew that we were going to touch on this topic. You've been very busy these past uh, two weeks, I would say, with all the stuff going on with the Super League. I guess just your overall thoughts on it. You've you've written a few articles on the topic, so I guess I'll just, you know, I'll let you take the floor and just go with go with the flow that you want to talk about, obviously, just with the clubs, the owners, and now where we are, we're at this just point of, you know, Champions League is moving on. Obviously, Real Madrid and Chelsea are going to have a match tomorrow, and we're going to have to see if maybe Chelsea can shut down um, this club and I hopefully win the Champions League. Um, that's our thoughts on it, at least, and shut down Real Madrid. Because if Real Madrid goes and win the, and wins the Champions League, like how does that work? It's so it's so weird. It's a it's a whole big situation. Should just take the floor and your thoughts on everything. I guess if you look at the semi finalist, you could make the case that. If any of the four teams win, it's like, oh no, what's happened to football? You know, Real Madrid are the uh, the team that everyone hates, but they are a team that I guess was built from hundreds of years, you know, over a hundred years of history. PSG, well, you know, a club that wasn't really going anywhere in France until the Qatari owners came in and turned them into one of the richest clubs in the world. Manchester City, same thing. You know, I remember being at a game at Wembley in 1999 when they were in the third division of English football. That the week that Man United won the treble, Man City were being promoted from the old third division. So. You know, they are where they are because of money. And Chelsea, the same. You know, Chelsea before Roman Abramovich were a club that was had ambitions but didn't really fulfil them. So it's hard to pick a, a romantic winner of the Champions League, especially after what happened last week with the Super League. So how do I look at that? Well, look, this, this has always been there. You know, there's always been big clubs wanting a bigger slice of the pie. Never, It'll never change. And, you know, within, I think within five years, this same situation will, will rear its head again. Next time they might think about it better, they might speak to fans, they might get ideas from people in the game to see how it can work. But it just smacks off greedy clubs, greedy owners, not understanding their fan base, wanting to do something that nobody wanted. And the, the only guys that wanted it were the guys in the room. You know, the, the, the fans were really set against it. And I think, you know, purely because it would have meant that there was no sense of jeopardy, you know. I know in the US you've got your NFL, the NBA, there's, there's no relegation, even, even in MLS. So it's a closed shop, and if you have a bad season, it's not too damaging because you'll be back next season. In England, you know, look at Leeds United, who have had a great season back in the Premier League this year. They've been a real addition to the Premier League. Well, they've been out of the Premier League for 16 years. And prior to that, they were, they were in the Champions League 20 years. The Champions League semi-finals, they were pushing for the league title. They won the, they won the football first division title in 1992. So a big club that wins things. And because you have relegation and jeopardy in England, they dropped out and took 16 years to get back. And the owners of the big clubs really are really terrified about not so much relegation because the big six haven't been relegated, but they're terrified of missing out on the Champions League. Look at Arsenal. They've had four or five years now outside the Champions League. 
financial problems have come along the way. They can't afford to get new players. So the owners of these clubs just want to be in this competition all the time. But nobody wants it. The supporters don't want it. There's a great banner at Chelsea last week. We want our rainy nights at Stoke. And I've, I've been to Stoke on plenty of rainy nights. It's not a place I'd want to be. You know, give me the Bernabeu or the New Camp any day of the week. But I take the point, you know, having those horrible trips to a wet and windy Stoke is what English football is all about. And it's having that ability to overcome a tough away game. You know, I, I've been to so many games watching title winning teams over the years. And you're thinking, where are they going to drop points? And they usually drop points at silly places like Stoke, like Burnley, like like Bolton when they were in the, in the Premier League. And this is what makes it so interesting. As a Chelsea fan, you know that you're going to have a tough game at Man United at Liverpool. It's when you go to Crystal Palace and you get beat. How do we get beat at Crystal Palace? But that's the that's the beauty of it. So when you get a win there, it's like we've won at Crystal Palace, even though you should win there anyway. It's like phew, there there's some grounds, some some teams that are just difficult, and you take all that away and have this plastic competition where you just play the big teams all the time. And like, you know, I made the point at the weekend when I was watching West the, the West Ham game. You know, Timo Werner's had not, not a great year. But the goal he scored at West Ham really meant something. It meant that Chelsea were probably getting the Champions League next season. It meant it, it actually meant they achieved something. It won, a, it won a London derby. And those goals are big, you know. So Werner's career might, be, might turn around on the back of that goal at West Ham. He wouldn't have that moment in his Super League. Because it'd be the same every week. He'd be like, well, you know, it's Barcelona, it's Juventus. It doesn't really matter. Just a, such a bad idea. Yeah, and what's, you know, in American sports, obviously, there's, you know, differences right a lot of teams especially in basketball and football right there's tanking right where people they intentionally lose basically right so they can get better obviously there's drafts and different things that are different in that but there's no there's no punishment for being bad right you just say hey it's actually almost rewarding for being bad right you get a higher pick for a better player next year so it's it's weird in the super league i hated the idea that there's no punishment for you know being bad i guess right and it's just disappointing. Um, you know, they stopped the project, obviously, but it's not like over, right? So it's weird. A lot of fans are like, oh, okay, this is dumb, but it's definitely going to come back. Um, you know, this is this concept, at least. You know, I agree. Florentino I, Perry, yeah. I, you know, I think what people have missed in this week of this, this really bad idea is, is this, this, this newly designed Champions League, which is so bad. And it's almost like not being mentioned because it's, it's 10 games before Christmas and it's, Again, you're not playing all the teams. It's a strange league situation. It's it's a it's a compromise that nobody actually wants. So that has kind of slipped under the radar a little bit. And there are also these two, I don't know how you'd call it, legacy spots, I guess, for teams like like Liverpool or Borussia Dortmund, for instance, this season, who might miss out by qualifying in their leagues. If they miss out on qualifying for the Champions League, but they end up in the Europa League, then they could be the two highest-placed legacy teams that get put back in the Champions League because they've got a good history, which seems just a ridiculous notion that those teams could get in ahead of a an Ajax or a Porto or a, a Monaco, teams that have had good runs in the Champions League in the last 10 years. And the whole point of football is that you get new teams coming from different leagues all the time. You know, you know when I started doing this job back in the early 2000s, Deportivo La Coruña were a big team in the Champions League. I think they're in the third division in Spain. You know, as we said, Leeds before. And then watching Dynamo Kiev had a great team. They come, these teams come and go. And without this... Oh, with, uh, with this new idea, the teams would not come and go. It'd be it'd be stale. It'd be the same every year, and it'd be so disappointing. One other thing with that that Alex was kind of bringing up, where was when people were trying to make the connection to um, to American sports, they were saying, "Guys, think about it. Where what if the six best teams?" And I was like, "Wait, 
stop right there. Stop, stop for one second. Like these aren't even the six best teams, right? You're taking uh, the clubs, you know, the, everyone's saying the big six and obviously money wise and fans wise, most of them are, but you had like Arsenal and, you know, we have, we have a friend, um, uh, Will, that is an Arsenal fan. And we were kind of joking with him, like, why was Arsenal in this mix? Like, they're just, they just don't fit here. You have Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Tottenham. And, you know, obviously they're fighting for the top four. Obviously, Man City's already got it basically clinched. And Chelsea's fighting for that spot there as well as Man City. Or, excuse me, Manchester United. It's just weird how, like, a, a team like Arsenal, obviously we had Tottenham, who it seems like Mourinho did not, um, you know, fit in with this Super League thoughts as he um, does not have that job anymore. Um, and it's just it's just weird. It's just weird that these few teams that maybe did not have a spot um, where you would see, oh, what what are your what are your four or five best teams, six best teams in the Premier League? And then someone just throws Arsenal in there and you're like, really? Yeah, no, I, I take your point. I think, you know, I think three of the English teams have never won the Champions League. You know, Man City, Tottenham and Arsenal have never won it. Tottenham haven't won the league since 1961. So we're talking 60 years since they were champions of England. And, you know, Arsenal had a great period of 10 years under Arsene Wenger, but it's, it's 17 years ago now since they won the league. Maybe the three or four before they could even challenge again. Man City, well, they'll win it at some point, but they haven't won it yet. And I think, you know, what <laughs> the reason why these teams are in is because they have rich owners or they have big stadiums in a big city. So obviously Tottenham and Arsenal being based in London, great, has an appeal, but... You know, Aston Villa won the European Cup, Champions League. Everton have won a lot more titles than City and and uh, and Tottenham. So it is very arbitrary. And there's you know there's clubs out there in Europe. You know, Porto have won two Champions Leagues. What even mentioned Ajax. You know, and Ajax have won I think four or five Champions Leagues. PSV Eindhoven. There's some really big clubs that were overlooked. You know, Hamburg are in the, the the German second division right now. They won the European Cup. So it's um it's it was just it was just put together by greedy men who wanted bigger slice of the pie without thinking about history and, you know, the fabric of the game. Um, so kind of moving forward to the Champions League for this, you know, these two semi-final matches, uh, specifically the Chelsea game against Real Madrid. What, what are your thoughts, like predictions wise on how these games are going to play out? Um, obviously Chelsea have been, you know, reasonably solid uh, in the Champions League. Obviously they've made it far uh, for the first time in what is it now, seven years to the semifinals. So, do you think they have a chance of getting by Real Madrid, obviously, who have been on interesting form? They've been interesting this season, obviously. They've had their ups and downs, but lately they've been pretty solid. Um, wh- what are your thoughts? What are your predictions for how this game's going to play out? Well, I saw the. Uh, I was at the second leg of the Liverpool Real Madrid game at Anfield, and um, Real weren't spectacular, but they got the job done. They've they, they got an old team, a team of you know players that five years ago were sensational players, you know, Luka Modric, Karim Benzema, Tony Cross, Sergio Ramos. But they get the job done. And I think, to be honest, this is this this is a great chance for Chelsea to get to the final. I, th- I think Chelsea, I think, sorry, I think Real are the favourites because they have that experience. And I think Ramos will be, bit, be fit again. Varane should be fit. So they've got, they've got all the, all the players available. I mean, whether Eden Hazard's fit, I don't know. I mean, he's not been fit for a long time, but Real have got the quality, they've got the experience, but they're not they're not the team they were four or five years ago. They're certainly beatable. But Chelsea need a good first leg. They need to get a result that gives them a chance in the second game. But like I say, Thomas Tuchel's made such a big difference at Chelsea. He's given that that solidity. I still think that they are lacking a bit of something. That, that they're still finding the feet as a team, but they can beat the Real Madrid. They can certainly beat Real Madrid. And I think if they get to the final, 
They beat Man City in the, the FA Cup last week. They can beat any team on a one-off basis. PSG, you know, I've seen PSG a few times this season. They're sensational when they're on form with Mbappe and Neymar and Di Maria, but when they're not, they can be beaten, as, as Man United proved in Paris. You know, it, the, the, so it's a real it's a real chance for Chelsea this time. Even though I don't think they're the favourites, they have a chance, and I think, you know, they'll either come back from Real Madrid with a three 0 defeat, or they'll they'll get a, a draw that gives them a real chance. But I, I do think Chelsea Chelsea win with a chance in this game definitely. And you're going to see some familiar faces. Obviously, you mentioned Hazard hasn't really been fit. You're going to have Courtois on net, most likely. I'm, I'm sure he's going to start. Um, it's just a little nerve-wracking is if Ian Hazard does not start, we know that what a player he was and what a player he still can be to kind of come off the bench as a substitution and get that deciding goal in, in a match and how devastating that would be to, to Chelsea fans and especially to us as we grew up kind of watching uh, Ian Hazard. I think you'd be really unlucky if Hazard comes off the bench and scores because, you know, I can say it, you guys, you're, you're Chelsea fans, you guys can't, but he's it, been so bad at Real Madrid. He's been a disaster. And I think you definitely got the best out of Aiden Hazard at Chelsea. I think, obviously, to play for Real Madrid is uh, is a huge thing for any player, but it, it was a huge mistake that he made. A huge mistake because he's, he's gone there. He's gone there, first of all, to replace Cristiano Ronaldo, which is just the worst thing you could ever do because you can't replace Ronaldo. And he's left behind the situation at Chelsea where he was undisputedly the main man. He was the main guy. He was the guy that made everything tick. He was brilliant in the Premier League. That you know, he he had everything that you need to be a superstar in, in that league. And it I understand why he chased his dreams to go to Real Madrid, but it's been a terrible move for him. And I just think he's he's not in any, any any kind of shape to to worry Chelsea. Courtois, you're right to mention him, he, he was outstanding against Liverpool and he, you know, as much as I like Mendy, I think Mendy's done a, done a great job at Chelsea this season. You haven't replaced Thibaut Courtois. I think Courtois is a, you know, one of the best in the world. So you have to get past him. And he looks definitely back to his best. So it'll be a tough one. But I do think that you know, if, if Conte's at his best, if, if Thiago Silva can get one of these games out of him you know, and marshal that defence and he can get a goal out of Havertz or Werner. And you've got Olivier Giroud as well as a real kind of uh, real danger in Europe. Chelsea have definitely got the ability to win this time. So I just want to move to one other and get get your thoughts on one other you know bright player for this Real Madrid attacking side and that's Vinicius Junior. I think he's been very very good so far and obviously you know he's not as young as like Anansu Fati and I'm sure I would say not as good but you know obviously we're talking about two different players here. He's 20 years old. Uh, Fati's I think what 18 uh, at this point. So we're talking about a little bit different age groups there, but. Just your thoughts on Vinicius Jr. And, and how bright of a future he could have with Real Madrid. Well, he's very important to Madrid in the sense that it gives them pace. Because obviously Benzema has been a great player over the years. But Benzema isn't a guy with great pace anymore. So Vinicius can stretch the opposition and he can make, he can cause them problems. But he reminds you a little bit of Gabriel Jesus at Man City in the sense that he's got all this pace, but he doesn't quite know how to use it. So there are times when he'll get away from a defender and, you know, pick the wrong option, take a shot too soon or pick a wrong pass. But... When you have that kind of pace, you're an asset to a team because you can you can hurt the opponents by stretching them so much. So, and obviously against Liverpool, he, he had a big impact. So, you know, he's not the finished article by any means, but he's, he's a danger because he's so quick. And I think obviously Chelsea have got they've got one or two aging players at the back, and I don't think you know the likes of Azpilicueta or Thiago Silva will want to spend too much time worrying about Vinicius Junior. But he's certainly a player that has made Madrid better, but he's not in the same league as the players they've had in the past. And I mean, in this match where we had Timo Werner coming in after that nice one goal, as you mentioned, his season's kind of been on and off. 
I've been very critical of him. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And, you know, Alex always does come after me about it. I, I was able to call him after that first goal. And, and he was like, you doubted him. You doubted him for this match. So, I mean, and, and you mentioned it already. Just kind of seeing him on good form is what we want. And obviously, maybe Chelsea goes after. There was the thoughts earlier in the season were kind of out of the running for Holland, But there were the thoughts about him. Maybe we bring in a striker over the summer. People are, uh, you know, have the rumor. I've been seeing the rumor of Varane coming to Chelsea. I don't even know why people are just talking about, you know, there's rumors every day, all day, right? But for a center back, why why are people so, so, um, I don't know if it's gullible or just why do, I don't know why Chelsea fans want another center back. We're so strong defensively. Maybe selling a center back like a Christensen or Rudiger, as good as they've been, maybe Kurt Zuma. Um, I don't know how many, how much money people would want them, f- excuse me, for. But just to bring in another center back, I don't know why people are predicting or wanting for that to happen. Yeah, just just touch on Werner before I talk about that. I mean, you know, you're right. Werner, I've I've seen him a lot this year. The one thing you can't question Werner is his work rate and his and his attitude. I think he, he gives everything and he doesn't hide. Uh, and he's been really lucky at times, like in that game at Anfield, where his decisions go against him. But I think the game at West Ham basically summed his season up because he did score that goal. It was an important goal. But then the miss in the second half was like, you know, it, he missed an, he missed basically an open goal from about, you know, three or four yards. So that, that was Werner in, in, in 90 minutes. In terms of the, you know, the targets, I don't think Chelsea get Erling Haaland. I think he's got bigger and better options. I think, I think the one thing that could tempt him to London would be London, you know, basically. I think the fact that living in London is a big, you know, one of the world's great cities. But Chelsea, I'm not sure that he'd want to go there. In terms of defenders, you're right, you know, I, I've been so impressed by Rudiger since he came back into the team, and why on earth Lampard overlooked him for so long, I don't know. Because Rudiger's been outstanding; he was he was outstanding in the semi-final. You know, Thiago Silva clearly is not one for the future. Uh, you might get one more year out of him. I'm not overly convinced on Zuma. I think Christensen's done well, so so maybe Chelsea are thinking that they need to look for somebody a bit more long-term. But that's not Rafael Varane. You know, Varane has been around for maybe ten years now, so. It doesn't really fit unless unless that means that Thiago Silva is going to leave. So, yeah, it's a strange one. It would it would cost a lot of money to bring in. I'm not quite sure it's what Chelsea want or what they need right now. But Chelsea are always going to be in the market for the big name players. So I wouldn't rule Varane out. But I'd, it would be a strange move to make considering what they've got there and how old he is and what he'd be replacing. Yeah, and I definitely say Chelsea do need to bring in a natural number nine. I feel like you know as much as Werner can play up there, Giroud obviously it sounds like it's not going to be back. Um, Abraham, there's all sorts of like, who knows what's going to happen with him. Obviously he hasn't been, uh, on great terms with Tuchel or in the team at, at all really much. Um, obviously he came on against West Ham late, but not nothing really much from him. So he could be sold or he could be going out on loan. So I think, you know, obviously Holland, I think most likely to me will be going to one of the Spanish giants, maybe Man City. I feel like that's probably where he would end up. You know, a player I always really like is Romelu Lukaku. I feel like he could really, he's been tearing it up in Syria. I feel like he's a a very nice fit for Chelsea. Obviously, a few years ago, uh, we were rumored with him. Obviously, he went to Manchester United instead. Um, Well, we got Alvaro Morata. Didn't go so well. He's, you know, doing okay, I guess, in Syria now. Um, Lukaku didn't do that well in Man United either, to be fair. Um, but what do you think in terms of a striker who could come in the summer to Chelsea? Um, who do you think that could be? Yeah, I mean, Lukaku would be a good fit. You know, Chelsea's successes over the years have been when they had Didier Drogba or Diego Costa, a real kind of powerful centre-forward. Um, 
whether Lukaku would want to go back to Chelsea, you know, yeah, they spelled under Jose, as we know, and then it, and then it came so close under, under Conte. I, I think I think Lukaku might feel that he's in a good place right now with Inter. I think Italy's good for him. I think I'm not quite sure Lukaku had the, the work rate for English football, certainly United, but Conte's made him a lot sharper now. So he, he's got the right coach, the right league, but yeah, he would be. He would certainly be an upgrade for Chelsea. It is difficult. There, there aren't many strikers out there you'd say you'd be able to get. I mean, I, I don't see Chelsea getting Harry Kane because the, the connection with Tottenham is just, it's just. I just don't see any way that Spurs would sell him to Chelsea. Then you've got Haaland, who, you know, has the pick of the world's best clubs. I think you've got Lewandowski, but he's you know mid thirties now. I don't think Bayern would let him go, and he wouldn't be the answer for the long term. So, it's it's difficult to see what Chelsea can do or who they can find. They haven't got a number nine, as you say. I think Werner, he's got goals in him, but he's, I wouldn't rely on him as the number one striker. So, probably Chelsea, they have they have great strikers and they have bad strikers. You know, they've, they've had some real kind of, you know, Shevchenko and Torres and, and Morata. If they get it wrong, they get it pretty badly wrong. So, uh, if you can't find the right guy, just wait until the, the right guy comes along, would be my advice. So, for obviously only five games left in the Premier League season, for most teams at least, obviously Leicester are playing later today. Um, but what are your final top four predictions? Obviously, as it stands right now, I mean, Man City are pretty much locked up, or I believe they are locked up in the top four. But for those two to three spots, uh, or two to four spots, who do you have finishing uh, in the top four? Yeah, I've got to say, I don't, I don't want to sound really boring here, but I think it's going to be as it stands. I think, I think, I think United are now pretty comfortable in second place. Um, Leicester had a little bit of a wobble, you know, they, their form went up, up and down, but I think they're looking better for third because they've, they've picked up a little bit, but also the teams below them have been dropping points, apart from Chelsea. I think West Ham will struggle. They've got injuries and suspensions. Liverpool have kind of dropped off the pace and they've got they've got a couple of tough games coming up. So I think I think it'll be as it stands. I think the only kind of positional change would be, you know, Chelsea and Leicester fighting for third. But, um, you know, they've got the FA Cup final to worry about as well, those two. So I think... Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I, I think the top four as it stands is, is pretty much locked. I, I don't see how having beaten West Ham, Chelsea will now fall away. I think they just look too strong on the two. They look too organised. They just don't lose enough games to actually drop out. I appreciate you putting Chelsea in the top four for your, for your prediction, and uh, I appreciate you joining us. You can go follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Ogden underscore, and then obviously go check him out on ESPN.com as he's a senior writer for them. So we really appreciate you joining us, and please go follow us on Twitter at Talking Blues Pod. Subscribe wherever you're listening, and we will see you next time for another episode of Talking Blues. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, 
We will discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.